0: Good morning, everyone. Alan Cantor will give us our welcome this morning.
1: Good morning, I'm Alan Cantor, a worship associate and member of this, the Unitarian Universalist Area Church at First Paris in Sherburne. This morning's greeting is adapted from Molly Hausch Gordon. We gathered together this morning tenderly, like drops of dew on a leaf of grass, hopefully, like gathered raindrops in a cloud, gleefully, like water rushing in a stream to the sea, deeply, like groundwater pulled up from a well. We gather from every direction for growth and depth, for companionship and hope, for learning to love this world. We gather like the water that joins us across all of creation, the water that connects us within and without, merging and flowing across the entire world.
2: Well,
3: I don't know, where is it?
0: Thank you, Alan. Good morning, everybody. My name is Emily Bruce. For those of you who don't know me, I am the ministerial intern for this congregation and I'm happy to welcome you this morning. We have just a few announcements before we get started. So we are recording this and everyone is muted. Um, I encourage you all to switch to gallery view, which you can do on the upper right-hand corner if you're not already in gallery view so you can see everybody. And we will be using the chat box so I'm sure you can find your way to that. Uh, Grab a chalice if you have one nearby we'll be lighting it in just a moment. And a reminder that we will have a virtual coffee hour after worship for about 20 minutes. So if you're interested stick around after the postlude and have some time to chat with your fellow UUAC community members. Uh, You're all invited to join the racial justice team um, this Thursday evening from 7 to 8.30 PM for their monthly race in the news discussion. The link to that meeting is in the email that you got this morning from Dara. Uh, The time this uh, this week, they'll use their time as the first of several follow-up conversations to their June 1st discussion on anti-racism. And these gatherings are really important because they create a safe space for you to bring your questions and your doubts um, and talk about the protests, talk about what defund the police means and any other issues related to Black Lives Matter that you'd like to talk about and learn more about. So I encourage you all to consider joining that discussion. We're also continuing our micro gatherings, um, which are small in-person gatherings outside um over the month of October and I think into November so there is a link in the chat box right now if you click that link it'll take you to the page where you can see all of the micro gatherings we have on offer Um, and you can sign up for available ones as you desire and if you are someone who would like to offer a micro gathering we welcome more ideas so please just email Heather Walker in our office um, if you'd like to offer up a micro gathering for the community and thank you uh, check the weekly email which comes out Sundays mornings and also on Fridays for all of the many, many things that we are doing together as a community these days. And if you are visiting us this morning, I invite you to click uh, the link for the welcome form which is in our chat box and fill it out. And so we can get to know you a little bit and also add you to our email list. So you can get, get all the emails about all the stuff that we do. So finally, I would like to make sure everyone's on gallery view so you can see all the faces and just take a moment to wave hello to each other. Good morning, everybody. We also have one more quick announcement. Oh, no, we don't. We got our wires crossed a bit. We have one more quick announcement. This is a very last minute, but incredibly worthy addition. Today is Dot Woodmeyer's 90th birthday, and so we'd all like to wish her a happy birthday, and Sarah is going to sing happy birthday on our behalf, but please sing along.
4: Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Dot, happy birthday to you.
2: i
0: As we begin our worship this morning, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples' Day, so named to honor the history and heritage of the Native American people. And this morning, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the land upon which our church community stands as the land of the praying Indian tribes of Natick and Ponkapog. We respectfully acknowledge this tribe and their ancestors as the original people of this land. Thank you. Please join us now in our opening words. They'll be displayed on your screen. I will lead the minister part and Jeff Brown will lead the response. Listen.
5: Listen to the wind. Listen to the stars, hear trees.
0: Sing.
1: Sing and hum a wordless song to the tune of your rushing blood. And pray. Pray with a fervor that gives you chills in July.
0: Shout your prayer like a howl.
1: Howl till the sound of your soul touches clouds.
0: Come, let us howl our hallelujahs.
1: Come, let us pray and sing. And celebrate.
0: Come, Come.
3: Let, let us, us worship, worship
0: together. together. Please join us for our first hymn, All Creatures of the Earth and Sky. The lyrics will be pasted into the chat box. We hope you will sing along. Isaac Smith, and family to light our chalice this morning.
3: Love is the spirit of this church and And service is law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek truth and love, and to help one another.
0: Well, good morning all, it is time for our Wonder Box, so I'd like to invite all the kids to come up to the screen, those young and young of heart. All right, so today in our Wonder Box, we are going to talk about land, specifically the land that we live on and the people that were here before us. Now, why is this important? I'm not gonna ask you to answer that on the spot, but I will tell you what I think. I think it's important to know about the history of where you live. The, the history of who was there before you and the story of the land that you call home. Because as we all know, the land has been here for millions and millions of years. So many, many people have lived on this land before you got here. And it's also really important to talk about land because this weekend, because tomorrow is a national holiday that many people call Columbus Day. And Columbus Day was named after Christopher Columbus who came to America in the 1600s and discovered America, a lot of people say. But a lot of other people, and I'm one of these people and there are likely many of you here as well, now call Columbus Day indigenous People's Day. And we do that because we want to honor all of the Native Americans that were already here on this land before Columbus showed up. And also we're already here before the rest of the European colonizers showed up. So I'm going to ask you to pretend that I'm pulling this out of the Wonder Box because I don't actually have the Wonder Box here. It's at Reverend Heather's house, but I'm going to show you guys something. Give me One second to share my screen. All right. It's a map. So I'm gonna leave this up for a few minutes while I talk. So this is a map showing Native American tribal land in this area before the arrival of the Europeans. And you can't see Sherburn on this map of course, but it's somewhere right around here. And I'm sure those of you who know Massachusetts geography better than me are actually pointing to the exact spot. Uh, but it's somewhere here near the line between the Massachusetts and the Nipmuc tribes. Now, before any of us were here, before these states, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, were even here, these tribes lived on this land for thousands of years. There are actually stone tools that have been found in this area that suggest the Native Americans lived here up to 11,000 years ago. When you consider that we have only been, our that America has only been America, the United States of America for a couple hundred years. Think about how long 11,000 years is. Now at the beginning of our service, we acknowledged that the land where our church sits used to belong to the praying Indian tribes of Natick and Ponkapog. The original meaning of Natick is debated, but it's said to mean place of searching or place of many hills among others. And Ponkapog is said to mean shallow pond, or a spring that bubbles from red soil. I'm gonna close this map now. So the praying Indians are called praying Indians because they converted to Christianity. Uh, They were befriended by a British minister named John Elliott who learned their language and then worked with them to translate the Bible into their language so that they could read it. In fact, there's a page of that Bible framed and hanging in the Cooney room at church. So if we were all at church right now, that, I probably would have pulled that out of the wonder box. Um, there's a lot more to learn about the praying Indians than we can do right now, but it's important to know that their descendants are still present in this area today, working to preserve their culture. In fact, they hold native worship services every Saturday at the Elliott Church in Natick. And the Elliot Church, of course, is named after John Elliott, the British preacher who befriended them. And tomorrow, many people will celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day as a way to honor Native Americans and their ancestors who belonged to this land before any of us got here. So this is also a day to remember that those of us who are descendants of those European colonizers, I'm one of those descendants, have to reckon with their oppression of the native people. It's a really tragic history. And we as Unitarian Universalists believe that while we can't undo that history, we can and should do our best to learn from it and honor the lives and cultures that were lost. As I said at the beginning, it's really important to know the history of the land. So as we close our Wonder Box, I wanna give you all a question to think about and talk about with your family. What's the history of your land? Where you live now? Can you find out anything about who was there before you were? I encourage you to maybe call your grandparents or another family elder who might be able to tell you stories about your land and maybe even other lands that your ancestors belong to. Because as we've learned, all land carries the stories of the people who were there before us. So that's your assignment for the week. I hope you will consider it. And thank you for listening to our Wonder Box. If you, if the kids now need to go wiggle or move on to something else, that's, that's okay with us. Uh, we're gonna move on to the next part of our service, which is our testimony. So every Sunday until November 1st, we are making space to hear from a member of our community about their thoughts on voting and the democratic process. So the prompt we are giving is what does vote love mean to you? And this morning, we are grateful and excited to have Barb Worby tell us what Vote Love means for her. Thank you, Barb, for your testimony.
5: Good morning, everybody. Vote Love boils down my political values into one sentiment, which is to quite simply vote for candidates and policies that will respect all people on our planet. Imagine if the guiding principle for governing were not money or power but love. Imagine how differently our government would be run, how different all our lives would be. Close your eyes and imagine. I imagine we would have policies and laws that value safety for citizens, equal access to basic healthcare, policies that make sure no one is without access to food and basic housing, that ensure equal access to quality education, that makes sure our law enforcement systems are not biased toward punishing poverty, jailing, and even killing people of color while simultaneously biased toward protecting those of us who are whitest and wealthiest. Yes, we all have a right to our individual beliefs, religious or otherwise, but if the guiding principles were love and respect for all people and planet, this shouldn't be that hard. I used to not pay attention to politics, It was a privilege of living a comfortable life, of never giving thought to how some laws and policies might benefit me and others like me, and not people different than me. On the other side of the coin, I also never considered how some laws and policies might be harming me. I was comfortable enough not to care either way. In 2016, I was taken by surprise. At that time, I had spent the past decade waking up to systemic racism, my role as a beneficiary of it, reflecting on and attempting to extinguish racist beliefs and behaviors out of myself. When I saw that Americans were capable of electing a person like Donald Trump, someone who so obviously espoused racist and misogynistic beliefs and would indeed use them to change policy and laws so that our government would become even more biased than it already was, the process inside me moved from theoretical to practical. I became galvanized in my internal work to move it to an external capacity and become an activist. I became interested in the ins and outs of our government and the effect of my votes, all of them. I learned about the role of the president in appointing judges, not just Supreme Court judges, but in the lower courts as well. I learned that court decisions set legal precedents, which could have a ripple effect of either establishing more equality or upholding an oppressive status quo. I learned about the role of district attorneys in whether police officers get prosecuted and which arrested people get charged with crimes. They have immense power to again, challenge a racist legal system or keep it intact. I began to understand the negative impact of not researching down ballot candidates and simply voting down the party line. I'm learning that there are those members of the Democratic Party who would be content to keep money and power as the guiding principles of government. And there are those who understand and are willing to dismantle systems of white supremacy. Not all Democrats are the same. I learned that environmentally damaging policies disproportionately impact communities of color and poverty and that people in power often deem change only worthy when they see it on their front doorsteps. And science tells us that it is. But profits are powerful. We need candidates that will recognize if we do not pass swift and effective policies to reverse climate change, we will all suffer. I also understand my power as a citizen in signing petitions to bring legislation to the table that would move the the needle toward equality. Petitions are the voices of the people. I understand my buying power is also voting power because it is the ability to boycott companies who support candidates and policies that don't equate to love and respect for all people, who engage in unethical employee treatment and harmful environmental practices. I can instead choose to support companies who center people of color, women of all races, who donate profits to organizations I care about treat employees ethically, and engage in sustainable environmental practices. I realize that donating directly to candidates and organizations is a worthy and necessary use of my money and another way of voting. That hoarding my hard-earned money for my family alone is short-sighted because we are all connected. I cannot change the fact that white privilege among other unearned privileges have helped me accumulate the wealth I have today but I can choose to use some of that wealth to contribute to candidates that will create a better world. It is well worth the investment. Vote Love is for me a perfect application of our UU principles into activism. My daughter Alicia recently said to me, the world has a lot of problems. She's been listening. We don't hide these realities from her or her sister Haley. Part of what helps me respond to her is to tell her that yes, the world does have a lot of problems. And here's what we're doing about it. My commitment to vote love is my commitment to my children and yours. Let's help create a world that we all want to live in. Thank you. Thanks so much, Barb. Friends, as we hold the words that we've just heard, and we open ourselves to further deeper listening, let's give ourselves a moment to transition into a time of prayer, meditation, and quiet. Let your body rest into its surrounding, release as much of the tension you're carrying as you can. Open your hands, close your eyes just for a moment, and join me in taking a deep breath in and breathing out as this video uh, will play of the choir sings uh, there is a love i invite you to join us in singing or listening or just breathing together
0: Now is the time in our service that we bring our prayers and lift them up for all to hear. I invite you all utilizing the chat box to consider the prayers you're carrying this morning for your loved ones. Those who may be sitting in the same room with you right now, maybe across town or across the country or even across the world. Please, I invite you to offer up your prayers for your loved ones in the chat box. For all of these prayers and those that remain unspoken, we light a candle. Friends, it's no secret that our world is hurting. There's a lot going on out there and a lot of people in pain and in need. So I invite you now to offer up the prayers on your heart for our world in the chat box. For all of these prayers, friends, we light a candle. And finally, let us offer up our joy. What are the blessings that we are grateful for today? The prayers of Thanksgiving that we hold close to our hearts? I invite you to enter those prayers in the chat box. Thank mm-hmm. you. for all of these prayers and keep them coming. We light a candle. Friends, will you please join me in prayer? Spirit of life and love, in a world full of turmoil this morning, we pray for peace. On this day, which is National Coming Out Day, may we remember the lives of our LGBTQ siblings who still experience discrimination, hatred, and violence. May we remember those whose right to live, marry, and adopt are under renewed threat, and those who deserve the right to a free and peaceful existence. May we remember the inherent worth and dignity of their lives this morning. In a divisive and antagonistic election season, we pray for resilience now and in the days to come. In a pandemic which still holds our earth very much in its grip, we pray for the safety and health of all bodies. In an unprecedented time of racial reckoning in our country we pray that this painful moment may provide opportunity for a long fought for and revolutionary change. And in this virtual world that we all now inhabit at work, at school and at church, we pray for patience and compassion for ourselves and others. As we lift up all of these prayers this morning, both spoken and unspoken, may we know that we cannot do everything, but we can do something. May we know the power of a smile and quick word of support. May we know that we are each of us blessed and holy, and may we seek to help others find the holiness in themselves. In the name of the great love that surpasses all understanding, we pray. Amen. Let us now be still together. Barb Worby will be introducing our offering this morning.
5: Good morning. <clears throat> I'm so excited to have a few minutes to tell you about Out Metro West, a wonderful organization whose mission is to build community for LGBTQ plus the youth. Out Metro West began running its youth programs in 2011 and became an independent nonprofit organization in 2014. The organization's first program, Wagley, was created as a program of the Unitarian Universalists of Wellesley. It formed in response to requests from local youth and their families who sought a safe space for LGBTQ plus high schoolers in Metro West Boston. The only program of its kind between Boston and Worcester, while Adgley immediately drew dozens of area youth with its weekly social, educational, and supportive meetings. In 2012, the organization's second program launched Umbrella, a twice monthly program for transgender and gender non conforming high schoolers offered social interaction, education, and support within meetings facilitated by transgender and gender non-conforming adults. In 2015, Metro West launched the state's first program for LGBTQ plus and allied middle schoolers, Nexus. Between Wagley Umbrella Nexus and drop-in sessions, the organization currently runs more than a dozen youth meetings per month out of locations in Framingham, Newton, and Wellesley. Since 2011, OutMeta West has directly served more than 1,000 youth at its meetings, has conducted dozens of trainings for local schools and organizations, and has welcomed more than 200 guests at its, at its events for LGBTQ families. As a clinical psychologist who specializes in LGBTQ issues, I received many referrals for transgender adolescents. One of the most important elements of navigating the challenges of being an LGBTQ plus teenager today is feeling connected to your people. It can be incredibly scary to be questioning your identity, particularly if you have parents who are not entirely supportive and you live in an area that as a teen is distant and isolated from the offerings of Boston or Western Even well-meaning people in your life can say and do things that are transphobic or homophobic, simply out of a lack of understanding. I refer families to Out Metro West all the time. Having a space that is completely comprised of individuals with lived experience as queer people can feel like a breath of fresh air and a safe haven that exists no place else in these kids' lives. Having a space like this can also be literally life-saving. LGBT youth are almost five times as likely to have attempted suicide as compared to heterosexual youth and complete suicide at almost three times the rate of their heterosexual counterparts. In a national study, 40% of transgender adults report having made a suicide attempt. 92% of those individuals report having made this attempt before the age of 25. Recent research by the Trevor Project shows that LGBT Q plus youth with at least one accepting adult were 40 percent less likely to make a suicide attempt. It is also worth remembering today that many Indigenous nations recognize and embrace the existence ad- of LGBT identities. Out Metro West values align well with our Unitarian Universalist values. They affirm LGBTQ plus identities through positive role modeling. They challenge ableism, classism, misogyny, racism, and other systems of oppression. They create supportive spaces where LGBTQ youth can be themselves. They respect, embrace, and celebrate a diversity. And they treat people with care and compassion. This valuable organization has been struggling through the pandemic as many of its business donors are themselves struggling to survive. Today, on National Coming Out Day, please consider supporting OutMetro West with your giving. And also vote for candidates that support the rights of LGBTQ people. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Barb. Uh, we are collecting our offering through Realm as usual. Um, you can see the slide on your screen with instructions and there is a link in the chat box to your right. Please designate whether you would like your donation to go towards your pledge or towards our offering recipient or both. And thank you, as always, for your generosity.
4: The earth, she speaks to me.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Thank you everyone for that beautiful, beautiful music. I don't even feel like I need to preach. I think we just heard our sermon today, (laughs) but I will offer our message. Thank you. So I'd like to start actually with a brief meditation. So as you hear the remnants of that beautiful music ringing in your ears, I invite you all to close your eyes just for a moment and take a deep breath in and out. I want to invite you to imagine our gathering here, not as a bunch of screens, but as a sacred circle of trees. Yes, I am asking you all to imagine us right now in this moment as trees. We are rooted deeply in the center of an ancient forest. Our branches reach out toward each other as water and nutrients flow through our intertwined roots. It is autumn. So some of our leaves are turning red, orange, and golden yellow as they slowly drift from our branches to the ground. Feel the sunshine and the breeze ever so softly swaying our branches. As you visualize all of us as trees in this moment, take another breath in and out and breathe in the deep Peace of the forest. This is the life of a tree when it is rooted in its community of belonging. Thank you, you may open your eyes. So when I was a child, I thought trees were magical. I grew up in Louisiana, as many of you know, a place full of ancient mossy oak trees that I love to climb, and cypress trees with their knees, which are actually part of their root system, but they're called knees sticking up out of the river water. And I remember as a kid when we would take boat rides on the river near our house, I would reach like far out over the boat trying to touch the knees as we floated by. I also remember my grandmother teaching me once that the reason the stands of pine trees behind our house grew so close together was so that the trees could protect each other and hold each other up during heavy storms like hurricanes. And I was amazed that such seemingly inanimate things actually knew how to take care of each other. But there is scientific proof that healthy trees share water and nutrients through their root systems with sicker trees. It's true, a tree family will keep a dead stump alive sometimes literally for over a hundred years, you can imagine that, in order for a new tree to eventually grow from it. And trees don't just protect each other, actually. In many forests, the branches of the trees stop growing outward as they approach each other so that they can leave room for sunlight to filter down to the plants on the forest floor. There's also evidence that trees can warn other plants in their environment about pestilent bugs and other diseases. They send out warning signals by emitting gases from their leaves into the air, or sometimes they push chemical and electrical signals through their roots. This is all true. I'm not making it up, I promise. So in all of these amazing ways of supporting each other and the environment, I have come to believe that Trees can teach us a lot about belonging. Through these examples that I've just given you and many others, because there are so many other examples, trees show us that we are at our best when we know our belonging to and responsibility for each other. In fact, our very survival and theirs depends on our understanding of that truth. Now the legions of harm that we humans have committed against nature and each other is well documented. We have bulldozed billions of acres of forest across the globe to feed our voracious consumption practices. And in a very similar way, Imperial colonialism has decimated countless indigenous cultures, traditions, and people to serve a destructive and centuries long progress narrative. We've eradicated thousands of biodiverse species, only to replace them with monoculture tree plantings, which are incapable of restoring biodiversity, and they themselves are planted only to be cut down again and again and again. In a similar way, We have eradicated the cultural biodiversity of our nation by centralizing our white supremacy culture, which prioritizes white people and white practices as the norm, pushing all non-white people, cultures and practices to the margins as other. And finally, observing the recent fires out West, I can't help but see in that tragedy an obvious metaphor. As trees explode into matchsticks, our connections to each other and the planet also seem to be set further ablaze, burning a path through our interconnected web of existence and seeming to scorch our hopes for a world of justice and peace. Reckoning with these realities is difficult, I know that. It's really, really hard to take in the enormity of everything I just said. And it feels especially hard right now when everything seems to be in a fever pitch. So for my part, I find a lot of meaning and actually some theological grounding also in a place that you might not expect, the world of pre nicene Christianity. And for those of you who are not up on your Christian history, why would you be? Uh, I'm assuming most of you, I will explain a little bit about what I just said. So the Council of Nicaea happened in the year 325 AD and it formalized for the first time the central doctrine of Christianity as a faith where Jesus was divine, sent from God to earth, and was sacrificed to save us all from our sins. You've ever been to a church service where they recited the Nicene Creed? That creed came out of the Council of Nicaea. So in many ways... The purpose of this council was to aid the emperor Constantine in establishing a state religion that would support his efforts of domination and empire across the globe. There's an old saying that Constantine didn't convert to Christianity so much as Christianity converted to Constantine. So before that council, before Constantine, before any of that happened, the early Christians in the first, second, and third centuries, practice a very, very different kind of Christianity. Their central tenet was not the son of God suffering and dying for our sins, but paradise on earth. Paradise on earth was the central core of their faith. Jesus's presence in the world was not as an image of torture and sacrificial death, but as a source of wisdom and love and eternal life. Earth itself was seen and revered as a gift from God to be cherished and preserved. A world of diverse and divine beauty were all being sought to live together in harmony and mutual flourishing. Instead of waiting and praying for a heaven in the afterlife, which at this time in, our, in that history didn't exist for them, early Christians celebrated the paradise that God gave them right here on earth. In the Apocalypse of Paul, which is part of New Testament Apocrypha, Apocrypha are writings that were discovered around the time of the Bible, but aren't actually part of the official Bible. So the Apocalypse of Paul is one of those. And in that text, Paul, Paul says, I entered paradise and saw a tree planted from whose roots water flowed out. And the Spirit of God rested on that tree and said, From the beginning, before the heavens and earth appeared, the spirit has been resting upon this tree. So why this has meaning for me is because the way I see it, trees and the rest of the natural world are still trying to live in that paradise. They have survived hundreds of millions of years and five mass species extinctions and they continue to reach for that paradise of interdependent existence, that is all of our birthright. And it is our human disavowal of that birthright that threatens them, but nevertheless, trees persist. Speaking of that persistence, the environmental activist and writer, Terry Tempest Williams, spoke in an interview last month on the regeneration that can happen after forest fires. She talked about the mushrooms that spring from the ash as the ground begins to cool, the pine cone seeds that scatter only in extreme heat, ensuring the next generation of trees. She explains that there are indigenous ways of forest burning that bring back a cacophony of life after a fire and help earth heal and regenerate itself. In her poem, A Burning Testament, Williams writes, we are not the only species that lives and loves and breathes on this planet called Earth. Trees will grow and forests will rise again as living testaments to how one survives change. I will mark my heart with an X made of ash that says, the power to restore life resides here. We can choose to restore life to our interdependent web. I believe very much that this is true. We can choose to reclaim that power to heal and live into it, or we can continue in our attempts to destroy it. Now friends, I don't think that any of us would ever say that we want to destroy it, of course not. But our actions matter more than our words. Can we remember the inherent wisdom of belonging that nature has never forgotten? As we seem to teeter ever closer to the edge of annihilation, can we be a part of that great turning away from destruction, away from consumption and greed, and find our own path back to paradise on earth? In this time of brutality, vitriol, and despair, We who know the truth of our interdependent existence with all life on earth need to act in accordance with that truth. Interdependence demands an ethic of belonging. And this ethic of belonging must be rooted in justice and compassion for our fellow beings, both humans and non-humans. I think if we let them, trees can actually teach us this ethic of belonging but to do otherwise is in its own way to disown nature and to disown each other. So my prayer for us today is that we not forget the birthright of paradise. Let us not forget that sacred grove of belonging that we visualize together at the beginning of this sermon. As earth reckons with grief, greed, and trauma, we too are grappling with a history and a culture that has moved us far from paradise. And yet in that grappling, may we also know that the power to restore life resides here. May it be so and amen. Please join us for our final hymn, For the Earth Forever Turning. The lyrics will be in the chat box, thank you. Please join me in reciting our call to ministry, which is in the chat box. We go forth into the world in peace to act with works of love, to affirm each person's dignity and to cherish the living Earth. Friends, as we leave this virtual space today, I offer a blessing on all of our hearts that we may remember our power to restore life, to know our interdependent belonging and to cherish our paradise here on earth. Amen. We invite you to stay for our virtual coffee hour. After the postlude, we will be splitting you into breakout groups. So if you'd like to stay for an informal 20 minutes or so um, with your fellow community members, we encourage it. Thank you all for being here and hope you have a great week.